I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of your houses. Clarence Hillian is going to make you a super human being. Unlucky for you, episode of Crackpot Cinema. Uh, yeah, I'm sort of doing the Count Floyd intro here for no reason whatsoever. Uh, I am uh, Mike McPadden, the author of Teen Movie Hell and uh, Heavy Metal Movies, as well as suddenly the hosts of three podcasts uh, running simultaneously. Wow. How do you do it? How do you do it? <laughs> not well. You know, not, I mean, uh, you know, very, uh, very poorly. It, it, as in all aspects of my life, you know, I was a D minus student in school, and you know, I maintain that across the board throughout my experiences. Uh, you know what, man? Me. Flood the zone, flood the zone. Who cares? <laughs> exactly. Jam Just, culture yes. with my Brooklyn accent. Uh, hey, there's a guy in Los Angeles joining me. What's his name? Aaron Lee, writer and producer of TV shows like uh, Family Guy and Superstore and stuff like that. Fabulous, and uh. We're going to be going from Los Angeles uh, through Chicago, where I've lived for the past, uh, can you believe this, 17 years. It's wow. the, the vast majority of my adult life at this point. And uh, to my hometown of Brooklyn, New York, specifically the Midwood area of the Flatbush section of Brooklyn, where Alan Konigsberg came of age. Not far on, he lived on Avenue K, and I lived on East 28th Street between Avenue K and Avenue L. Uh, that was my main childhood home. Not far from me, and uh, the legendary Woody Allen. So, uh, apropos of nothing, we decided to do a tribute to uh, the films of Woody Allen. Um, but well, not the, Woody Allen. But not. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> right. not By not films. highlighting any of his films. So we call this one Woodless Allens, and uh, we're going to talk about Something Short of Paradise from 1979 and uh, Soup for One from 1982. And you know, uh, Mike, you launching in the Woody Allen imitation, I just have to say that is, like in writers' rooms I've been in over the years, that is absolutely the favorite imitation to do that all comedy writers will crack each other up doing a stupid hacky Woody Allen imitation at any moment, you, you know, and wow. the, and the most fun, the most fun voice to pitch in. And that sometimes you do get a genuine joke out of that. You go, Oh wait, that's like, I, I was just trying to do Woody Allen shtick. And that actually turned out to be funny. You know, like you, and you end up <laughs> putting it in the script. And it's so fun that I've often, I've often thought like, isn't the Woody Allen, okay, isn't that comedic persona public domain by now? Like, couldn't you do a new movie uh, about, oh, like, yeah, yeah. a guy that, that talks like that and is doing Woody Allen shit? But, and I know that Woody Allen makes those movies where he has, right. you know, whoever the young actor of the Kenneth moment Brana is. Kenneth Branagh. Exactly. Yeah, right. It'd be this really year. It, awkward version, yeah. If he could be making movies right now, it'd be Chris Hemsworth going, like, you know, I'm, I'm in a lot of trouble. But... <laughs> But like, but I've I've always thought like I would make a movie. Uh, here's Ice Road Truckers, 
but but with a Woody Allen guy. It, you know, like if you could just take that guy. And then I saw this new FX series, Dave, about a, a Jewish rapper, you know, aspiring rapper. And it is very much that. It's him walking in the recording studio with guys with guns everywhere going like, I, I think you left your gun on the, I don't want to sit on the seat. You know, it's it's very yeah. much. So, so it is, to me, it is one of the all-time great comedic personas. And today we're testing the limits of how you can get someone else to do that and will it be funny or not with these two movies? Uh, the answer is not. Um, <laughs> no, the answer is no. You can't. But uh, what comes to mind is like, you know, uh, the cartoons that used to do that from, you know, those weird like, were they cats? Yes, they were the Warner Brothers cats that were like Abbott and Costello. And then, of course, you know, the Honeymooners as the Flintstones. Yes, Exactly. And- Huckleberry right. Hound is Anthony Andy Griffith and right, yes, but, yes. Uh, Some comedic personas are so funny, or Jerry Lewis, you know, with uh, yeah. Bela Lugosi meets a Brooklyn. I mean, that's just a ripoff, but but but, but arguably, we've talked about Jerry Lewis in the nineties, giving you like you had like Eddie Murphy was obsessed with him, yes, um, and then got oh. to do his Jerry Lewis movie, well, literally with the Nutty Professor, but uh, Bowfinger. He got to be a exactly Lewis character, yeah. and Andrew Dice Clay doing Cheerleaders, yeah, or or a comedic persona will just infect people and they won't even know. It. Like Jackie Johnny Carson doing Jackie Gleason and going, "No way we go!" Like then <laughs> yeah. then people are imitating Jimmy Car- Johnny Carson and they're not even knowing that they're doing <laughs> yeah. Johnny Carson for years. You know, right. I feel like that happened with Letterman, arguably that like he sure. infected people not knowing they were imitating him so yes letterman is like one of the most profound unknown influences if you listen to like my wife rachel works for uh good parts media which is like a radio news prep service so she she creates a daily uh news service for morning radio shows uh and many of them are like the soccer mom station light rock stations uh, now, whatever, I don't know, you wouldn't call it light rock anymore. Hot AC, that's the uh, genre. But a lot of them have, like, fake married couples as the morning team. All the guys are doing Letterman. Right. All the guys are doing Letterman. Yeah. Well, especially radio, because I always felt like Letterman, it, right, he mutated into Adam Carolla. Adam Carolla, Norm McDonald's delivery I never thought would have existed without Letterman. And, and that yeah. became the FM radio guy persona. Like, Completely. It just, it just yeah. did, yeah. 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 And so, uh, well, so we, we've named our two films. Let us uh, set the table here. And we'll use a red and white checkered uh, tablecloth like they did at Elaine's on the Upper East Side. Oh, bottle of red, <laughs> bottle of white. <laughs> I went to Elaine's. I went to an, the Esquire magazine Christmas party, like, I don't know, 96, 97 or something. And uh, it was pretty mind-blowing because Norman Mailer was just, like, drinking at the bar. And, like, one oh. after another, those, like, titans just came in. And they just... Once they were inside Elaine's, they didn't seem like giants. They just seemed like, hey, good time guys. It was wild. Oh, you had to be a big shot, didn't you? With the people <laughs> that you knew at Elaine's. I'm just going to que- keep quoting Woody, or Billy Joel lyrics all morning. <laughs> you, you had to be a big shot, didn't you? <laughs> you had to be a big shot, didn't you? Yeah. You spoon up your nose. Um, so uh, Woody Allen by the late 70s was a superstar. Uh, absolute A-list mainstream celebrity. Uh, Annie Hall <laughs> came out in 1977, was a, a blockbuster. 
swept the Oscars, uh, critically beloved uh, audiences loved it. So it grossed uh, $38.3 million in 77 and 78, which in 2020 would be $165 million. If, that, yeah. if you wrap your mind around that, 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 that there were adults in the world that would pay to go see, you know, this incredibly sophisticated and innovative and emotionally profound and utterly hilarious film. And, uh, you know, there's been no equivalent since then, that's for sure. My my dad was one of them, and and here's a story I always remember as a kid. Have you ever, like, and my dad would just sometimes tell these anecdotes that I don't know where he got them. I it, it, you know, but I always remember as a kid him telling me like, uh, you know, I'm like a nine years old, ten years old. He said, you know, uh, they Woody Allen, they went to him, the TV networks, and uh, he was on the tennis court. He's playing tennis. And they say to him, uh, we want to show Annie Hall in network television. He just keeps playing his game. And he's like, yeah. uh, only if you show it completely uncut. And they were like, that's insane. We can't do that. It's an R-rated movie. We can't show it uncut. He said, that's my conditions. And they did. They, <laughs> no, well, he's right. That so, so, and, and this happened on a tennis court. Like, where did he get this? All these details of this negotiation. Oh, <laughs> oh the details. The, yeah. Yeah. Like, Yeah. I, it always blew my mind. Like, Dad, where do you get this showbiz gossip in, in Jamestown, New York, <laughs> working well, I mean, at Pizza Hut? I'm, I, I mean, <laughs> I never knew. I never knew. You know, it's uh, some people have that gift, man. It's like yeah. my sister in the late 80s when Bruce Jenner started looking weird, getting nose jobs and stuff. My sister told me, oh, he's transitioning into a woman. Amazing. And I, I dismissed it, and, you know, and now we, we all know yeah. Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Amazing. And she doesn't know how she knew it. And, yeah. Uh, but she presented it just, you know, calmly, matter of fact. <laughs> it was like, okay. Um, so, but that is true. Uh, ABC, in an attempt to thwart the threat of pay TV. Brilliant. And cable that was uh, growing at the time, paid, you know, Bo- Boku Bucks to air Annie Hall. The condition was, uh, you know, uncut. It's actually rated PG. It's not rated R. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, they, 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 well, they, I've they, seen the R-rated version, Mike. You haven't <laughs> seen it. The Japanese oh, cut. Yeah. It's really fit where he's like, fuck you, you motherfuckers. I'm going to fucking kill you, you piece of shit motherfuckers. Stay away from Annie Hall. Fuck. Eat my asshole, man. Eat my asshole. Fuck everything. <laughs> um and they as well as jaws and you know so it was it was uh mind-blowing because annie hall was you know it was released in 77 played all through 78 and then in um fall i believe it was seven it had to be september because uh, i was in keensburg new jersey and we used to go on the weekends through the fall uh they aired it and you know the big abc sunday night movie which was the big event movie of the week and I was, uh, I just turned 10 and I saw it and this was my Beatles on Ed Sullivan moment, you know, my hearing the Sex Pistols for the first time, right. whatever it was when, you know, the, the fireworks go off in your head and you, you know, just, you sure. see the world in Technicolor for the first time where I was like, okay, you know, anything is possible. This is comedy that, uh, somehow as a 10 year old. Uh, I could relate to and understand to whatever degree I could without having had a, the adult experiences that are on display. 
but just the innovation of it, the use of the flashbacks and the lapses into a cartoon for a moment, uh, it, completely mind-blowing and hilarious. I mean, it was absolutely, utterly hilarious beyond anything I had ever seen. That was, was an experience was... I had had a few months earlier, or maybe even like a month earlier, in a very in a different way, but similar. Uh, ABC aired Take the Money and Run, which is Woody Allen's first movie. And I saw that, and I was like, I can't believe this exists. I said, this truly is like the Mad Magazine movie. Except in yeah. my heart of hearts, I had to admit, much, much funnier than Mad Magazine had ever been. Oh, God. You know, I feel like I feel like I saw it. Here's a funny one for me. You know, also, you, you were in the actual city. I was in upstate New York. But I would, you know, we've talked about this. I would see WPIX and all the New York stations. Right. And I feel like I saw Take the Money and Run on one of those stations. And I'll tell you the movie I definitely did at that time. Not not Cable, which I had and you did, and I got all the movie channels. But uh, What's Up, Tiger Lily? That So oh, yeah. so the first two I saw were What's Up, Tiger Lily and Take the Money and Run. And uh, y- yes, and, and, and so it wasn't until later that I got to see Annie Hall. But, but to, yes, to me, he was always just the wacky guy uh, at first. And that was the thing growing up at the time. He was this huge uh, comic presence. There was a comic strip, literally comic. Yes. Inside Woody Allen. I read it every day. Uh, I just loved him. I remember begging my <laughs> my uncles and uh, aunts to take me to see Annie Hall when it was in theaters. And they were like, I was, they were like, nah, it's not really for you. And I was like, is it dirty? Is it nudity? They're like, nah. And I didn't understand why. But uh, then ABC rode to the rescue. That's so, great. Uh, so after Annie Hall, you know, he had his little indulgence. He did the dramatic film Interiors, which was, you know, a limited release film. But even that um, made, uh, you know, it did pretty well. Uh, $10 million, which would be between 35 and $40 million today. And then he followed this. Now, this amazed me. He, he followed up with Manhattan, which I really do think is like his masterpiece. Um, like to me, you know, Peary, <laughs> Peary, I love, we just say Peary, everybody knows who Peary is. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Says that, you know, Annie Hall was like Sergeant Pepper and that it was this holy shit, who, you know, who's going to be the new Woody Allen? Oh my God, Woody Allen is the new Woody Allen. And it was this explosion that showed, you know, he, anything was, he, he could take the movies anywhere. And then, so to me, Manhattan is Abbey Road. And... But it's a black and white film. It's about a, uh, and, and here's where, I mean, we have to, we can't not acknowledge who Woody Allen is in 2020. Uh, yeah, he's a TV producer who's dating Mariel Hemingway, who's a high school student, who's a 17-year-old in high school. Yes, and, uh, a, a, a really intelligent one. I mean, like <laughs> incredible conversations. One of the biggest laughs in that movie to me is... Uh, He's out on a double date, him and Mariel, and uh, Diane Keaton is incredibly pretentious. She says Vincent Van Gogh, and uh, and and I, she's probably with Tony Robert. Oh, it's uh, Michael uh, Murphy. Uh, she's dating, and um, you know they're all saying like, "What do you do?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm a Times writer." I'm this, and, and she goes, "Tracy, what do you do?" She goes, "I go to high school." Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but Manhattan actually made a million and a half dollars more than Annie Hall. Jeez, I didn't know that. Yeah. 
So that would be that would have been like closer to a hundred and seventy million dollars today. Unbelievable. And uh, yeah, was it in, mid- was it in IMAX? I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, they added all the five dollars for the three D glasses. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Wow. It was th- so. Yeah, I mean, you know, they wouldn't the let him run. make that movie today. That's always my uh, favorite yeah. comment. They, you know what? They wouldn't even let him go in and pitch that movie where he dates a seventeen-year-old today. That's what's wrong with movies today. You can't. <laughs> the articles. It's so funny. So our our uh, dear friend, and hopefully we got to figure this out. We got to make this happen. Uh, guest, upcoming guest. Alan McDonnell just posted a, on Facebook yesterday. Did Lou Reed ever do a cover song? And I immediately th- went to, uh, yeah, Soul Man with Sam Moore, the theme from the movie Soul Man. <laughs> That's funny. And then I wanted to post like a picture of C. Thomas Howell in Soul Man. And Soul Man, I would imagine our audience knows, <laughs> yes, is it's a 1986 blackface. comedy. Yeah, uh, that it, it's just blackface. Um, but then, I, so I went to find some images of it, and a lot. It was just all these articles, one after another. Soul Man could not be made today, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what's wrong. Was that the dot 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 after it? No, no, it's never no. that. No, yeah. no, no. It's 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 never that. Um, the comments are all that. <laughs> sure, know. right? Yes, yeah, I yeah. imagine. You but, know, did uh, you when uh, you know I w- was going through the Woody Allen filmography. Uh, before doing this and it does it is as you get into those later years it does blow my mind some of the titles I look at and I go oh what was this what scoop with Hugh Jackman do you remember that I saw scoop yeah oh my god so was that Hugh Jackman doing the was that him being Woody Allen like no, scoop no. Woody Allen is in scoop Okay, well, that never it's stopped the them, though, from having movies. someone imitate. No, that's yeah. the truth. So, yeah, yeah, as I recall, yeah, as I recall, yeah, it probably was, yeah. Yeah. And the Scoop, and then You Will Meet a Tall, Dark Stranger. I was like, what is this No one? clue. No, no clue. clue. Fading Gigolo, not not a Woody Allen. I, I tried watching that. That's a John Turturro movie. But starring Woody, who's trying to talk yeah. Turturro into a three-way with Sharon Stone and Sofia Vergara. That's the whole yes. plot of the movie. I, I like, yeah, really, really amazing his later yeah. years. I mean, him arguably justifying crackpot cinema status at this point with some of these titles. God, you make a, a hell of a point there. I remember one I really hated that was on cable a lot. It was like set in Mexico and they thought they had like the hands of the Virgin Mary or something. David Schwimmer is in it. I think I could be conflating a bunch of 2 a.m. HBO movies from 1999. What What's the one that, um, oh God, my a friend of mine, Matt Murray, a, a comedy writer, used to always joke about it. It's, it, with the with Jimmy Fallon and I want to say Jason Biggs, it's a bunch of like young actors of the time. Oh, uh, Christina Ricci. It's called. yes. Say anything goes, anything, something like that. Everything's but, yeah. He but he always jokes about it like how it's like a bunch of young people, like a bunch of people who are like twenty seven years old at a restaurant going like uh, 
guys, Diana Krall's playing tonight. I think it's Diana Krall. Like, we got to go see Diana Krall. Like, just cl- such clearly a 70-year-old man, you know, writing, <laughs> jazz fan, writing the way. Right, you, yeah, you know yeah. how 27-year-olds in New York are all like, oh, my God, Diana Krall tonight? You're kidding. How, how fast can we get there and rock out? He, yeah, always Lander Day Woody Allen, man. I'm telling you, that that might have to be its own show. And, and you know, I they came out so often. And, you know, yeah. I, I, you couldn't keep up with them. It just, you'd lose interest, or I lost interest. But, you know, I'd watched some, and they were horrible, and watched some, and they were uh, pretty good. Um, You know, Match Point, which is the atypical, like, Hitchcockian one, I think is pretty great. Um. What's the one where he gets bopped on the head and he's a movie director and he's blind and he can't let anyone know and he wanders around like Mr. Magoo? Like I that, hate that. That was really that? where like I turned that's called uh Deconstructing Harry. No, no, Deconstructing Harry is the post No, that one's closer to like No, Deconstructing Harry is the meta confessional yeah, I'm his, an his asshole like, one. His like yeah, I'm an asshole. Yes. Love me. Yeah. Right. Oh, and what about? Here's another one I forgot existed. Uh, Whatever works with Larry David. Larry David. Like I forgot he did that. It's yes, it's just a yes, it's just a. I bailed on that one. Yeah, yeah. Funhouse mirrors of like I can't believe Woody Allen did this. Yeah, 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 yeah. But boy, back at '79, man, it was top of his game. Absolutely. And then, so in 1980, he made uh, Stardust Memories, which. Critics hated, and I remember audiences hated everybody because I, you know, I've only seen it once, and I saw it when I was young, and I, I liked it. I saw it on cable weird. as a kid, and I liked it. Yeah. I like, yeah. and I liked yeah. when the aliens came down completely. And, and and like I funny, thought that yeah. was funny. Yeah, yes, yeah, I always like. And that's sort of his eight and a half, and and it was his resenting, you know, everybody praising his earlier funnier work. Um. But like, what do they talk about? His funnier, like funnier than Annie Hall in Manhattan, I guess. Well, and you're like, I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he. Yeah, I'm sure once you drop interiors, you get a lot of people. You know. Yeah. Yeah, but interiors was one and done. You know, and you didn't have to go see it. No. <laughs> so, no. And, and, and but I'm I'm sure he got a lot of people. People mostly did Yeah. Right. Yeah. But by '82. You know, he was still when Soup for One came out. He was still like one, the one of you know the if not he was the definitive comic genius as as uh, Time Magazine pro- proclaimed him on the cover in American culture. Yeah. And uh, so in the summer, and to me, this is where the seventies ends. Is the summer of eighty uh, two? So the summer of E. T. Poltergeist, Star Trek two, and Rocky three. The big comedy movie that everybody was banking on was a Midsummer Night sex comedy. Oh yeah, which right. Which was Woody's movie, which sucks. <laughs> it just it stinks, and it got a big, huge release, and it flopped. Uh, grossed nine million, which would be twenty four million today, and uh, that was kind of it. So then Zelig, which came out the following year and is just a work of genius, um, that got a, a limited release. It did not get the publicity campaign that. Midsummer Night Sex Comedy did, and uh, that has lived on. And sure. after that, you know, he was Art House Woody, and you know his movies were never mainstream again. Uh, the closest I would guess is, uh, I mean, Hannah and Her Sisters was a very popular film. That yeah, definitely. Yeah. And um, 
And crimes and misdemeanors was at least critically, you know, that, that would seem yeah. more high profile. Yeah. And then bullets over Broadway seemed like a yeah, Hollywood release. Yeah, there you go. And that's a hey, really you know, funny movie. Mighty Aphrodite, yeah. that did okay. Yeah. That did well, too. Yeah. No, yeah. you're right. But still, yeah, they, no, he but he was writing. no longer a blockbuster. For, also, things turned very weird in 1992. Let's say what, what, what are you talking about? What happened? <laughs> yeah. What went on? I, I didn't hear about uh, this. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you remember the Fox TV movie about oh, the God. affair? I kind of do. Kensett. Who, who played him? I don't remember who played him. Though. Oh, I can't believe I'm, I apologize oh. for not looking this up. Oh, I'd love to watch started. that. I watched oh, that at God. Hustler. Oh, I like, was working that. late. Because at that point, I didn't have cable. And I was like, oh, I got to stay and watch on the TV in my office. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I don't think I did. I remember its existence. I bet that's fun to watch. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that was, well, that's something we should do. Let's let's do a scandal. Yeah, sure. So, But like the real out, outrage, you know, outlandish ones, like what was happening here. So, uh, so I believe, you know, the table is set. Yeah. And, Let's the table is set for a dish of soup for one and <laughs> something that is short of paradise. We hope you enjoy it, even if it's something short of paradise. I wish we really did talk like that. Like, I wish that really was our podcast. I wish we didn't. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so, uh, something oh, short Oh, and let me give you my rating Please. system. My rating oh, system. Oh, yeah. Oh, most importantly, yes. Last week in ref in honor of the great Fred Willard passing, I did not do a shit joke, but I'm, I'm back to it this week. Uh, the, my system this week for our Woodless Islands is uh, Annie Hall or Anal Hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's all I, I mean, got. I mean, that you know, that is like the, you got the, the <laughs> oh no, bomb what, there. one shot, one kill, man. Come that's on. <laughs> all right, I have four. Oh God. Okay, let's buckle up. <laughs> this one I really like: mensch or stench. That's great. Kosher that, or no, sir. That's good. Neurotic or neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Mad, Mad Magazine. Love it. Yeah. New York or spews pork. <laughs> That's good, too. <laughs> I'm going to say mensch or stench. I like that. Yeah, it's punchy. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I hate to not do Annie Hall or anal hell, though. Oh, oh, well, all right, then let's do it. Annie Hall okay. or anal hell. All right, we're doing yeah. it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Okay, uh, so stepping... Uh, that was the name of the R-rated version I saw, by the way. <laughs> Anal Hell. That is, that's how I came up with that. Was, uh, I mean, you, remember you don't know cool. about it. You don't know, kid. There was an R-rated Annie Hall. It was called <laughs> Anal Hell. Which was another thing that Aaron's father and my uncles would tell us, that these non-existent, uncut movies. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you didn't see it. I did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was high at a drive-in and thought I saw something in it now. <laughs> and then had someone else's memories of right. riding around in a soapbox ra- racer with my coonskin cap. <laughs> and now it is fact. Taking my baby out in my 57 Chevy. <laughs> so um, so, <laughs> so let's step into anal hell by way of paradise. Something short of paradise. Yeah. Uh, terrible. I mean, just fucking awful. Uh, it. Pretty direct ripoff of the surface elements of Annie Hall. 
in that you have David Steinberg, the great David Steinberg, being so ungreat here. Oh, boy. Not great here, yeah. Uh, up against. So, he, so awkward, little, so uncomfortable yeah. on camera. Yeah. Like, like really, really one of the most awkward, uncomfortable performances I've ever seen. Where, yeah. where you wish, you wish he had just committed to a full-on Annie or a Woody Allen imitation. You know, you know like God, he's deadly uncomfortable. Is it's so uh, infuriating? Where it's just like, just listen. You signed on. Yeah, just do, do it. it. Susan and, Sarandon's doing it. She's just doing Diane Keaton. So just yeah, do Woody Allen. Terrific. It's fine. And she's, yeah, she, it's you fine. Know, she's totally great as Susan Sarandon doing Diane Keaton. She's totally fun. She lights up the screen. Uh, she's not funny because the material is the oh, God. antithesis oh, of God. Funny. Yes. But, uh, you know, it reminded me of in the Hangover sequels. I always got the sense that Zach Galifianakis was... Letting us know he was better than you, this. You would and, be correct. That, yeah. That would be correct. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And would never just play the part. Yes. Did not want to be there. Yeah. That, you right. would be absolutely correct. But couldn't turn down the, the paycheck, understandably. But if you're going to do it, just, just do yeah. it, man. Yeah. And uh, so Steinberg is clearly, you know, not up for being a leading romantic hero here. Uh, and occasionally lapses into the Woody thing. And, but mostly just is clear. You're communicating that uh, he just wants this to end. Were and you, you a, know, were, you feel were you that a, way too. Were you a Steinberg fan? Like, of did, course, did you know yeah. his stuff? <clears throat> I knew him from the tonight show. Uh, I just knew him. I was like, okay, funny guy with a Jewish last name. That's for me in the seventies. Right. Yeah. My dad had the Ooga Booga LP. I remember wow. that. Wow. Wow. And, um, and and I do find him fascinating. Like I never saw the David Steinberg show, his no. series from '76, a Canadian show that had most of the great SCTV cast, like John right. Candy, Martin Short, Joe Flaherty, Dave Thomas. But I am fascinated. I am fascinated, like how Steinberg was the star of that crew at that time. And the the thing that watching this movie that and not not I don't know him that well I don't know his stuff right. that well but I was fascinated how he looks like Eugene Levy and there's a lot yeah. of takes where he does things physically it kind of reminded me of Eugene Levy but there are definitely takes in this movie that are straight up Martin Short bits where where I was like I wonder so who influenced who there was was Martin Short and Martin Short had a David Steinberg imitation that he which used was to incredible do, which yeah, was incredible I mean, and hilarious so but yeah. I was like but but there were there's a bit in this movie where he uh angrily tries to break an umbrella over his knee and then has the pause and then does the ha you know that is a <laughs> yeah. full on Martin Short doing his meta Jerry Lewis yeah. bit take and I, I really would love to know, like, was Martin Short influenced by him or vice versa? And I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's like Paul Lind and Alice Ghostly. <laughs> yes. Know, who knows, you know. And like, and, and up I together have to say. And they're sort of channeling that same energy through themselves, yeah. And I got to say, as you see in this movie, Martin Short much better at it. Like, you, oh, you know, oh God, well, yeah. Martin Short always with the quotes around it. And really, over the years, you know, to me, one of the funniest actors who ever lived but martin short is 
is like the ironic version of what Steinberg's doing sincerely here, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And when I say I was a fan of Steinberg as a kid, like I just knew who he was and would, you know, and he was hilarious. He was on the tonight show more than anybody except, uh, I don't know. He's number two. I can't think of who number one was at this point, but, uh, him and Charles Grodin and, uh, Robert Blake were always the guys, uh, that just worked hilarious. And Burt Reynolds says, these are sure. This is what I was into as an eight year old. watching Johnny yeah. Carson. Oh <laughs> yeah. It was nothing good. Nothing on the CBS late show. When I was um, eight, I was like struggling to get through Carson. I was like, Oh fuck, please. end, please don't let me fall asleep. Don't be like, I would want to see SCTV right. after it or whatever was on. Well, and and then I would always fall asleep and I'd get so pissed off because, because Carson bored me as a kid, but you know, but yeah, I grew to grew to deeply love it later. It, it went in through osmosis, but uh, but right. Carson was always putting me to sleep. That guy. See, as a child, I was fast. The whole the whole showbiz, you know, the Sandy yeah. Maudlin show aspect of oh, it, but God, also yeah. like the inherent, you know, the unknown to me at the time, classy connections to its like New York roots and its history. Sure. But uh, and again, it was just I wanted to do anything that adults did. I just wanted any part of the adult world throughout my childhood. Yeah, smoking on TV, man, sitting oh, around smoking. My God, yeah, yeah, class. Ash in your cigarette and George Goebbels' uh, coffee cup, or his, not his coffee cup, his highball cup. Yeah. And you know, I did get that vibe watching something short of paradise this is the kind of movie that you know we've we've talked about this like as a kid you'd go i i want to peek into the adult world you know and uh and and, and this kind of movie is fun for me to revisit and watch because it does give you that feeling of seeing these kind of movies on cable and this this very straight annie hall knockoff you know but but it's but it's not a good movie no 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 and uh, and when we say it's an Annie Hall, it's just it really is just the surface elements. There's none of the like crazy flashbacks, none of the like you know outrageous breaking the fourth wall and things like that. Well, and uh, and we can summarize the movie, but but uh, you know, but but just to quickly say, when you say the surface elements, these two movies, this and Soup for One, back back, were fascinating to me to watch because there it's like they took two strains of. Annie Hall's DNA and they separated them. Yeah, one sure. one strain, yeah. Soup for One is the meta satirical strain doing sketches in the middle of the movie and commenting on it. And this strain is what literally just became the romantic comedy out of Annie Hall. Just yeah. that part with none of the iron none of the irony. And right. and this movie did kind of blow my mind. It was interesting to see in 79 that the formula for the romantic comedy had been set in such stone, even in uh, even in just a little low budget movie like this, building all the way up to the chase through the airport to running to stop her from getting on the plane, where where I was like, wow, I didn't realize this was such a concrete formula that early. I always think of it as more of a mid to late 80s and then just totally dominating the 90s thing, you know? I and, thought I, I had that experience as well, especially he's running to stop her from getting on the plane. And I was like, I, what, is this the movie that started? I, I wanted I was going to ask you the same thing. What was the first chase through the airport? What what? And maybe this was it. I don't know. But I can't think of an earlier version. Listeners. Yes. Help us out here. I can't think of an earlier version. No, no. 
And uh, so the premise is that Steinberg is a is he's like a booker or programmer at the real Wild Cinema Art House Theater in Manhattan. Um, <laughs> and oh, let's talk about the theme song, which is not credited to any singers. It is totally gross. We've it talked is about bad. This, this, <laughs> the Star Baby phenomenon of like. Yeah. The 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 word like the nineteen thirties Hollywood glam filtered through the most like sugary and uncomfortable aspects of nineteen seventies understanding of that of wanting to revel in that. Yeah. It's just so terrible. It's a duet and it's like just finger shaking sort of Dixieland jazz. It's but bad. not credited to anybody. I guess nobody, of course everybody not. knew better. Yeah, yeah. no, and I'm it not taking credit for that in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, you're not taking credit for that. Uh, so the event that it sets everything in motion is that this French movie star is going to be coming to promote his new movie at the real wild cinema, which is a ridiculous thing that would not... It, the movies like... The theaters like that were called either the Thalia, which was the revival house, or just like the Tivoli or something. You know sure. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, sure. And this movie's writer, Fred Barron, went on to Larry Sanders' show, which I was thrilled to see. Um, yeah, well, we should talk about a little bit the uh, director and writer. Uh, David Helpern is the director and Fred Barron. They came out of a 1977 movie, uh, Between the Lines, directed by Joan Micklin Silver. A Peary favorite, by the way. Oh, wow. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever seen that, but... No, never. Uh-uh. It's, it's you know, it's pretty good. It's about, like, uh, not an underground, like an alt-weekly newspaper in right. Boston. And just, you know, the people that work there. A little slice of life. And Peary's like, you know, I really, I dig these cats. I relate to them. Sure. Um, and I always thought it was funny it had that cornball name between the lines. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. But, you know, a pretty good little movie. Um so and and clearly, if you see that, you can see how this it would be like. Okay, let's do our Annie Hall. We right between the lines, guys. And uh, then they worked on that. And then Helpern, I enjoyed seeing that he went on to direct Dead Heat with Joe Piscopo. Oh, which I best. which I saw in the theater and loved. I, I did too. I, I feel it. like I'll tell you the one two Joe Piscopo punch that I saw in theaters, like right, right near each other. Dead Heat and Wise Guys. Brian De Palma's Wise Guys with Danny DeVito and Joe Pitt. Love them both. Like, Piscopo really knocked it out of the park. You know what? We're going to just, we have to just do those. You know, I don't care if people know them or anything. Love them both. Because I love them both. Seeing Dead Heat at the Oceana Sixplex was such a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I think I had gone to see Jason versus the Psychic Girl. Uh, Friday the 13th, sure. New Blood. Seven. Or no, yeah. was it New Blood? Yeah, I think it was. Uh, who knows? Yeah. I think yeah. that's what it was, and it fucking sucked. Yeah. And I snuck into Dead Heat, and first of all, I'm there, I'm like, Vincent Price is on the screen. And it was so great, I like, stuck around to see like the 20 minutes, the first 20 minutes that I had missed. Yeah. Yeah, that's a Because it was one. such a pleasant surprise. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, and so... And Go ahead. I was just gonna say, and you got, and you got, uh, and cast wise, you, like you said, we got Susan Sarandon doing Diane Keaton, and and Marilyn Sokol, who I, who you always enjoy seeing, uh, who I just, yeah. just, uh, you know, Goodbye Girl, 
I talked just last week about getting the DVD of Last Married Couple in America, which she's in. And my other, one of my favorite Blu-rays of the past, like, six months, Can't Stop the Music, the Village so People. Great. She's a big part in that. And Bruce Valanche on the great commentary track, just awesome, tells a lot of great anecdotes about her. And, yeah, so she's always a, f- fun to see. And it's funny and- because I, I feel like she was in a hundred movies, and she she wasn't. It was just, yeah. you know... She was just in like movies five that we movies saw, that foul, play. foul play, yeah. 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 But and she is the wisecracking best friend that would end up being played by Rosie O'Donnell or Sarah Silverman. Uh, again, like right. this is such a Janine straight Garofalo, up yeah. romantic comedy template yeah. that they just everything used from then on. Yes, and that's her role, right? And then uh, David Rash is in it, of course. Sledgehammer, who uh, actually and- is also in Manhattan. Oh, that's As a funny. TV actor, yeah, I remember that. I, 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 it's funny. I didn't even go to Sledgehammer in my head when I saw him. I was like, it's the Succession guy. The uh, oh. like, like that's <laughs> yeah. Immediately so think great. of Succession now when I so see him. great, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, his his next big movie after this was just Tell Me What You Want, and I was thinking that one might be good to pair with the Last Married Couple in America. That sounds good. Um, so you know, that's the Alan King, Ali McGraw, Sidney Lumet movie, right? Um, anyway, so, uh, they meet at a party and the, the, the meet cute happens around the table where Susan Sarandon is making her plate and Steinberg very unamusingly is eating a bowl of salad dressing with a spoon. (laughs) And he is so like not fun in this movie. He's such a trip. You know, and, and you know, I, I try not to be you try not to be sexist about these things when you talk about actors and their appearances on screen stuff. But like, but I'm just going to say Susan Sarandon could not be more beautiful, could no. not be more sexy. Yeah. And 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 to, to look at and he could not be less appealing and less kind of frowny and not having a good time. And and that whole like mismatched. Can you believe she's with him thing? Just it, it's so. He doesn't even seem to enjoy kissing her. Did you notice that in love scenes? Yes. He seems oh, like I, visibly like, oh, God, I want to get this over with. And it's like, what is happening here? What's wrong, David? Y- you know? Yeah. What was going on behind the scenes? <laughs> yeah. He's no fun. He's weirdly angry at times. He, oh, he's a, he he's walks a dour, around. unpleasant yes. guy. The, like, the, the charm he lays on her is so uncharming. He wears his pants pulled up to his nipples like Ed Grimley, which which again when I was thinking of Martin Short. And and he's and he's angry and yells at people and gets violent. Like both of these movies have this incredible misunderstanding of what the appeal of Annie Hall was. You know? Like Like Diane Keaton always said, I always remember interviews with her where she said, people don't understand that Woody Allen is sexy. Like there is something sexy about him and they don't get it. And it's not that it's just, oh, he's a nebbish walking around the whole time. It was unpleasant. And and Steinberg is such a schlemiel. No, you think of the Woody Allen poster, which is the two of them standing in profile talking to each other and that's sexy those are two sexy people and this poster (laughs) and this poster is hey we got a special guest our dog of the week ladies and gentlemen here comes our dog (laughs) of the week something short of paradise um (laughs) but uh but this poster is is david going (laughs) 
So the poster for this movie, as opposed to the sexy Annie Hall poster, is one shot. There's like one scene where Steinberg wears glasses in the movie. So they they took that image of him and her like in a cap and they're looking at each other in profile as if it's Woody Allen in Annie Hall. And the tagline is, uh, oh, God, I wrote it down. I can't remember exactly. But, oh, love isn't, love blind. isn't blind, just a little nearsighted. <laughs> like a guy with glasses and this girl. Can you believe it? <laughs> yeah, it's a Mr. Magoo gag. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Did. Like thinking Woody that's what you're going to get. And used it for whatever that other movie was. Yeah. And instead you get this dour guy going around frowning. And some of the most boring disco scenes I've ever Amazing. seen. Amazing. A yeah. disco scene in the movie is never boring. And this is the most dull and there is a certain realism, by the way, as someone who went to 2001, the upstate New York disco in, in 1982 <laughs> on Teenager Night, like it was it did look more like this than typical. And there's something about the dullness of their relationship, of their conversations, of, of everything that I was like, well, this is realistic. <laughs> there is a yeah. Yeah, cinema verite. Yeah. If anything, by the way, too much cinema verite. They, keep, I don't. Did you notice they keep using takes where some of the dialogue is clearly improvised and just, but not funny, just dull. Yeah. You know. Yes. Her yeah. saying, "You don't know what you want." Him saying, "I know I don't know what I want." That's what I've been trying to tell you. <laughs> like just these banal, <laughs> and she coughs in the middle of a couple takes. And there's, there's one scene where she's kissing his hand on a park bench and she clearly gets a hair in her mouth. And it's like, <laughs> where I was like, God, man, who was, no one was, I guess it was an attempt at naturalism, but uh, there's also one scene where he starts smoothing his eyebrow in the middle of like a yes, laying the next I door yeah. that, that grossed me out. Like, it, yeah, yeah, it's just, um, no, I guess everybody was just like, oh, we just got to get, let's this just get through this. Let's just get this through is horrible. this. Yes. Uh, there was one, and, okay. So, and, and you talk about like you know the not funny, like the, not taking advantage of setup. So they're they're walking outside on the street after they first meet, and this guy who's standing there, cat calls like he's like, "Hey, baby," and yeah, yeah. So he Susan Sarandon turns on him and like socks it to him, says, "You know, you're a creep. Get out of here." The guy is so hilariously gay. Like he's got old <laughs> denim funny. on with leather chaps, right? And the blonde mustache. Like I mean, he clearly they just grabbed an extra from the set of cruising. We're like, could you just be here for a second? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> or he was on the way, and I couldn't believe they didn't even use that setup to have him say, "Not you." I was talking to him. Hey, baby. Uh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah. They missed a they missed a few missed a few spots here. No, yeah. I how about how about when uh, the manager of the uh, the French star, you know, who's yeah. going to come on to Susan Strandon later and could be, yeah. uh, it talks about managing rock stars, and he yeah. says, "Oh, they're so much worse. They want everything. They want dope. They want women. They want children." Like <laughs> 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 it is. Well, I guess that was a little Woody Allen homage. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. The... <laughs> that was a little like like you know Seth MacFarlane, like a QAnon. Kind of thing. Yes, there you like, go. That's like, what it was. We know what's happening. Woody. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We know what's happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it all it leads to the scene where 
you know, they break up as they should because he's a fucking asshole. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And they, they reunite when the French And she's star... amazing. <laughs> she, yeah. She's incredible. Yeah. yeah. The French star is at the theater and, you know, they, his manager, who is like the L.A. like leisure suit uh, douche, you know, and they make it clear that, you know, he's from L.A. And, and you know, yes. Yep. L.A. learned sucks. from Annie Hall. L.A. blows. So. Right. Yes. Um, and he sets up Susan Sarandon. She, so she works as a reporter at a, I don't know, a newspaper or something with her father. That was an, an odd scene where, like, suddenly it became, like, the front page for a minute or, like, some kind of, like, yes. Tyler Moore show journalism thing. Yeah, right. With her old man. Um, but just to, obviously to make this all happen. And Steinberg is at dinner with, you know, his dorky best friend, who I guess is the theater manager, and the... French star. Oh, no, I'm sorry. The French star's manager, the L.A. asshole. And uh, he, yeah, he Steinberg gets me and he goes, you're a pimp. And he goes, hey, what'd you say? And he goes, uh, you know, and then he angrily, awkwardly, and not forcefully, because it's David Steinberg, uh, throws a plate of food, a lamb chop. <laughs> yes, yeah. And the guy jumps up <laughs> and says, this is a $200 suit. And very awkwardly, he goes, a $200 pimp suit. <laughs> and, and then he storms out. He grabs another plate from another uh, couple at a different table, throws that at the guy. But it's so unforceful. It made me, Gilbert Gottfried always oh. tells this story about he was on wings and David Steinberg was directing him. And he had to run. And Steinberg said, could you do it a little less... Uh, you know, awkwardly. He's like, okay. And he tries again. He goes, and then eventually he just finally said, could you just do it less Jewish? And that's really what I thought in his violent well, outburst. Well, I thought of that anecdote watching Steinberg run at the end of the movie, yes. running <laughs> to the airport. It was yeah. truly, I could not, I was laughing out loud. Yeah, yeah that was truly hilarious. Yeah, you, you know, the, when you talk about the, the, the pimp suit line, like some of the bad writing, it really did crack me up. Like, the attempt at sophisticated humor like Annie Hall, like right. uh, like the big moment you can't help but notice is him saying like, uh, go to the theater with me tonight, Susan Sarandon. It's a great Indian movie. And she goes, oh, this kind? And imitates <laughs> feathers on the head. And he goes, no, this kind. And points to his forehead like a dot. <laughs> I was like, yeah. wow, this is some sophisticated humor here, everybody. <laughs> about great, you know, about international film cinema like Woody Allen would do in the middle of his movie. <laughs> uh and then so i was thinking so the big equivalent of annie hall's lobster scene where woody and diane keaton are terrorized by lobsters that they're attempting to cook is uh when steinberg records the funny answering machine message for susan <laughs> sarandon's oh, apartment god oh that was intolerable oh he boy. goes uh let me do this hello madeline ross can't come to the phone right now because we're making love yes however if you leave your name and phone number, we'll get right back to you after we're finished. And then she chimes in, in 30 seconds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like the gross Dixieland flugelhorn sounds up. You know, you know, Mike, I I've written screenplays like this. <laughs> That's all I could think watching. Like, we all have. We've all written bad screenplays. Gregory Dark sex freaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. indebted to the romantic comedy trappings of the late Yeah. Series. Yeah, it's uh, it's not, it's not good. So, um, 
the French movie stars. So, so that's I mean, basically, obviously, this is an anal hell. Uh, you know, talk- but I will admit, I'll be honest with you. Like, in terms of the very, the kind of rating system we do of, like, would you say watch it, though? I yeah. almost would. But, but like, I almost would because, like I said, it's so fascinating for its time. and But it is yeah. just so deadly boring and so inarguably yeah, bad that me, I will it, say anal hell, too. But it was right too, on the line for me. It was right on the line. It's too boring for me. Uh, yeah. I, 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 to me, this is like, we took this bullet for you. Yep. Yeah. Um, right on the line. Just doing some research, some funny stuff here. Uh, Jean-Pierre, Jean-Pierre Aumont is the French guy. He's got movie credits dating back to 1931. And I just he has some funny titles among his credits, as you might, you know, through all those years. <laughs> Should We Wed Them from 1932. <laughs> it's good. Bizarre, Bizarre, 1937. Satan's Paradise from 1938. I'd <laughs> love to see that one. Uh, the Gay Adventure from 1949, not not a funny title in 1949, but right. you know, funny now. Funny now. Um, so a movie that was uh, serialized on the Wonderful World of Disney in 1963, The Horse Without a Head. <laughs> that was a rough one. Sounds good, especially the uncut version of that one. Man. Oh man! So, you know that same horse that was his audition tape for The Godfather. Uh, the Man with the Transplanted Brain from 1971. And then he was in The Happy Hooker in 1975. All these remind me of uh, me telling you, I think, recently about my 10-year-old daughter. I was goofing around with her. where She, she never, didn't know much about the Marx Brothers. And I said to her, uh, oh, yeah, this movie Duck Soup, it originally had a much more controversial title. And she immediately said, <laughs> what was it? Gay people rights? <laughs> and the idea... <laughs> And the idea of a Marx Brothers movie coming out called Gay People Rights in 1939 just well, destroyed Well, that, that was what, you know, like just as, you know, America was founded on uh, freedom of religion, that's what Fredonia was founded on, Gay People the Rights. The Marx Brothers in Gay People Rights. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay, I just now, this is a little aside. I don't know if you watched the Siskel and Ebert review of... Oh, God, of Something Short of Paradise? Yeah. No. Oh, oh I yeah, didn't know it's on there was IMDb. One. The oh, whole wow. episode. Yeah, oh, yeah. God, I got to see that. So it's an incredible 1979 episode where they also reviewed Wise Blood, the John Huston movie, uh, Wojcik, the Herzog film, and In Search of Historic Jesus. Okay. So, Good stuff. And it's almost, they don't do a dog of the week. Unlike us this week, they don't do a dog <laughs> of the week. They answer some viewer mail, which is great. Um, but he, so here's Siskel. I pulled some quotes. When it comes to when it comes to romantic movies, I think we're living in the age of Annie Hall clones. Now, one of the worst clones of Annie Hall is called Something Short of Paradise. So they show the answering machine clip. They come out of it, and Siskel actually goes, "Yeah, yeah." That, to that Siskel face we've talked about after a comedy <laughs> clip of total contempt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he says, "Yeah." <laughs> you know, I read the uh, Washington Post review, which had, l- listen to this incredibly bitchy line, which I was like, God, what a dick. 
Uh, Sarandon still possesses the soft beauty she had as an undergraduate at Catholic University more than a decade ago. Perhaps that's why she can get away with telling interviewers year after year that she is 30. <laughs> like, what oh, a jerk. You. Fuck you, yeah. dude. I like I, I even looked up I looked up her age. She's 73 years old. I was like, I don't think that Sarandon is lying and she's secretly 83. Like, like I did all the math and I was like, this guy was just being a jerk. Yeah, what a bitch. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> that yeah. Yeah. So I just I, I, indulge me for a moment because uh, this is an interesting memory. And I we I highly recommend you got to watch this episode of Cisco. Oh, I will. On the IMDb page, you and everybody else. Because they review In Search of Historic Jesus, which was the one Sun Classics picture movie that I saw in the theater. Wow. And it was a result of a, an older cousin of mine who was like really a, a cool, hilarious guy, went through a bizarre Jesus freak phase <laughs> when he was like in his late teens. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he would only take us to, you know, he was, if we were going to the movies, we would, this is a guy who took me to see Night of the Living Dead when he was cool. Um, and it was playing at midnight at the Nostrum right near around the corner from where he lived. But, um, so he took us to see uh, uh, this fucking In Search of Historic Jesus. And, you know, it's terrible. It's so boring. It's awful. Right. <laughs> At the college theater, we get the the soda machine was broken. So there's all these scenes in the desert, you know, the classic. And mm-hmm. uh, we go to see, I go to the candy counter, and the, the sign on the machine, handwritten sign says, soda machine's broken. Too many calories anyway, which felt very personal. Yeah, very, that's funny. A very yeah. personal insult added to very my ahead of its time for yeah. <laughs> for so what's shaming. great though is they go apeshit about Sun Classics pictures, Siskel and Ebert. What a ripoff they are! Yes, how they suck. I remember how, that. I, I remember yeah. from watching all those Dogs of the Week back to back. They had a real campaign against. I'm surprised they didn't do a whole slasher style episode devoted to it because they well, really hated Sun Classics. What's incredible about this is they snuck like guerrilla style, uh, like eight millimeter footage of the movie being shown in the theater. Oh wow! Yeah, no, they did a full on you know jam the system kind of thing. Wow. So they they go okay. Here's footage of people lining up to see this movie, and it's funny because it's in one of the like great like the Chicago theater was like one of the Forty Second Street type theaters, so it's a Forty Second Street looking crowd. They show the 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 price of admission is four dollars, and Siskel uh, says what they do what what they do is they rent the theater, they jack up the price about a half a buck, and they pocket all the cash, <laughs> and yet the crowds keep coming. So then Man. they're like, they wouldn't send us clips. So then they just show like the movie on the screen as they're just raging about how bad the movie is. And yeah. specifically, like really clearly laying out why those movies suck, saying like, oh, did did G- it, it will just ask the question, did Jesus visit England? This church has been here for a long time. And Siskel is, uh, Ebert's like, you know, I know Norman architecture. That church was not built till 1500. <laughs> so... Oh my god! And Ebert's specific blind fucking rage BFR is over the for one week only ad campaigns, which I you know I always thought was so charming. Um, yeah, which only freaked me out once when it was the movie Benji, um, when I was a little kid. Uh, but after that, you always know. Oh no, it's it's going to be held over for the sixth smash week. Right. Um, 
so he uh you know he calls complete scam you know wow Ballyhoo, uh, Ebert, Ballyhoo, yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah you came on. out of Roger Ebert world. We know what's up. Come on, <laughs> lighten up. So in search of historic Jesus, uh, not not even worthy of a dog of the week for them. So uh, let us <laughs> Wait, move on now. Just quickly, I'll give you one, indulge me. I remember Please. my Lutheran church in fifth grade when you talked about your your buddy going Jesus freak and, 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 you know, taking a night of the living dead. Yeah. I, our Lutheran church when I was in fifth grade showed night of the living dead one, wow. one, one weekend in the basement, like got us uh, like a, a, a print and showed it in the basement and it signed. And I remember my dad seeing the sign on the church night of the living dead Saturday night. He was like, Oh, what's that going to be the resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That is Did a good you go. One. No, I wasn't allowed. Oh, no, man. it was no kids weren't allowed. Oh, kids weren't allowed. Okay, I, I don't. I, I mean, my, just, like, this kid wasn't. Things, like, I don't oh, know. This is cheap. You can I didn't see. Well, way. I mean, I say this kid. I wasn't allowed by my parents. I don't know if right, there was a right, rule, right. but but yeah, I, right. I couldn't. Did, but to see Night of the Living Dead in a church basement in the late seventies would have been. Pretty I have awesome. to think the result must have been like Ebert's, you know, initial Reader's Digest review of Night oh, of the Living Dead of the traumatized, the crying, <laughs> the screaming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I want Speaking to say of that trauma, was a, that was a, oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was about to introduce soup for one. Go ahead. I was going to say, I just want to say that my cousin, it was a brief Jesus freak phase. All right. He okay. was a, a, a seeker. He hey, no, hey, Jesus is just all right with me, my friend. Nothing, no shame <laughs> no, there. Oh, oh yeah. All right. Yeah. So, uh, leaping ahead three years to 1986. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus, <laughs> this fucking movie. <laughs> soup for one. Uh, right away, I'm going to, you know, I gotta say it's an Annie Hall because I, 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 after all the joking, me too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you gotta watch this one. This is yeah. this is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, this is kind of amazing. So uh, I vividly remember when this came out. It, it was saturation advertising on TV uh, in New York, uh, and I always have forever. I have had the three seconds of the title song by Chic in my head. It's like Soup for One. Unlike something short of paradise, a good theme song here. Very good theme yeah, song. Yeah. Weirdly good. Like yeah. inappropriately good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh remember it getting insanely hostile reviews. Like the critics really were just restraining their fingers. I understand that. Like, Fuck you. Yeah, I understand <laughs> that. I get it. I get why. <laughs> it's a very obnoxious movie. Very oh, obnoxious, oh. very hateful, <laughs> incredibly misogynist, just a rage at women in every frame. And, and you know rage at life. <laughs> and and I don't and I don't want to get into too much negative dark stuff, but you, you know, Google Google the director uh, and writer Jonathan Coffer and what his life was, and you'll get a sense of what was going on behind the scenes. And let's just leave it at that. No, no, we're we're definitely going to talk about him. Oh boy! Oh man! Um, a fa- amazing, amazing story. Amazing figure. You know, start start yeah. writing on Mork and Mindy as a teenager. That blew my right. mind. Well, let's save him for after. Let's get. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, so, uh, I always figured, okay, I'll just watch this on channel 11 when it gets there. I, it never got there as far as I knew. I never saw it on TV. I, I never yeah, saw it. I never saw, I never saw ads. I'm surprised you were so aware of it. I, I never saw ads or I never knew it existed until you brought it up for the podcast. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. No, it's always been out there. knew nothing of it. 
What's it? Well, so, you know, okay, uh, let's say Soup for One, inspired by the Campbell Soup for One, which I think, best I can figure, it was launched in 1977. And they were just smaller cans of soup. And it struck me as hilarious that there was a time where the standard Campbell soup can was soup for more than one. Yeah, that's I. Yeah, I didn't remember that either. I, it's funny when I saw the cans in the movie, I did wonder if they were props for the film. So that's good to know. No, no they were they were legit. Um, so so it's very odd. Everything suggests that this is not a major studio film, but it is. I don't yes. know if you had that feeling. This is a major Warner Brothers production and release, and it just does not look or feel that way. And and Coffer was the youngest director ever hired by a major studio, I, I read. for. Well, I read this. that, and then I was like, that seems a likely story. It, yeah. But he was pretty fucking young. He was 24 when he yeah, got hired. he was very young. Yeah. yeah, he was very young. Yeah, pretty. And it, you know, and it feels that way. It feels like a 24-year-old guy's comedy movie. Yeah. At the same time, a 24-year-old in 1982 was, like, approaching midlife crisis. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but to me, it it comes off like, like one of those New York Grindhouse Studios, like, uh, 21st Century Films. Uh, like, they're like, you know, hey, we need to uh, get me some Annie Hall guilt. Sure. And trying that. Yeah, And then sure. I realized, oh, that movie actually exists. It's uh, Waitress, the trauma movie. Oh, okay. I've never seen that one. Yeah. <laughs> I have. Um, so, I mean, a pretty remarkable cast from Saul Rubinek in the lead. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Andrea Martin. It's amazing when she shows up. L Richard Libertini, oh, Michael Jeter. Christine Baranski, who is uh, funny in her little scene. Anna DeVere Smith. Um Oh, James Rebhorn, the I, I uh, as the lawyer in the adult bookstore complaining that the whip he bought to whip his <laughs> wife was not strong. That's right. And and, and it, I thought of it when you said Christine Baranski because my wife and I were so obsessed with the show The Good Wife. So to see him right. and Baranski in the same movie, it was like a very exciting Good Wife uh... <laughs> archaeology. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and of course Garrett Graham, who yeah. I was, who I. It's funny you brought up Zach Galifianakis earlier. I was thinking how much Garrett Graham had Zach's energy back then, which is a very early time to have that energy. You know, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, he's so funny and so great, and he, I think he was too weird to have as. I mean, he had a big career, obviously, but. He, he could have had a bigger one, it seems like, but he was just a little too weird, you know? So well, very... you know, he could have, and it's, there's no, you know, the, you watch the, you know, the movies he's best known for, Phantom of the Paradise and, and used High cars. Mom and Used Cars being like the ultimate. Yeah. And if you ever listened to the Used Cars commentary with Kurt Russell and Robert Zemeckis. I remember it was really funny and fun. I do remember it's that. Great. Yeah. They're cracking up the whole time. Yeah. But they clearly indicate that <laughs> cocaine was the exit. Definitely the, has that energy. The, <laughs> yeah, the exit ramp on the highway of Garrett Graham's career. Definitely has that energy. And certainly yeah. that comes across. But he's hilarious. Yeah. Everything he's so I mean, funny. Truly, to look at him is to laugh. To yeah, hear he's him great. is to laugh. Terror vision, he's amazing. Um, 
And then Marcia Strassman in the Diane Keaton role, who is uh, really good, really just holds the screen. Yeah. Uh, funny, uh, believable as a woman with the career she has. She's a, a successful real estate agent in New York City. Um, again, you know, like the chic theme song, inappropriately good for this movie. <laughs> with, with a baby, with a son, which makes yeah. all the shtick of... Saul Rubinex like <laughs> harassment and yeah. and pestering and stalking that much less funny and that much more disturbing and, and, and that uh, much more terrifying at one point where he says I'll change the baby's diaper yes I, like again this real misunderstanding of the appeal of Woody Hall like uh, of Annie Hall like Annie Hall was not a movie about an annoying obnoxious angry guy <laughs> bothering a woman <laughs> that's not what it was about like but I, but i think it short-circuited people's brains like well he's unattractive to us so therefore exactly, that must yeah. be what this is about that's not what it was about and this is just a guy harassing a woman who gives in no i mean that was my first you know the, the note that you know we'll go through the movie but i just this is an instruction manual oh God. for the behavior that led to the me too movement <laughs> yes <laughs> And I get you know, and I guess again, just stripping. Let's let's take all the class off of Manhattan <laughs> and and Annie Hall. Let's just let's pure, let's distill it down. And here's what you get: is soup for one. Like, you get a nice you, broth of soup for one. Have you ever read the C.S. Lewis book, The Screw Tape Letters? No, I've only you know I've only read the famous. It, so it's from you know obviously it's a masterpiece, but it's letters from a demon in hell to his nephew. From screw t screw tape is the uncle and wormwood is the nephew, just about how to be a terrible person, right? And soup for one is the cinematic equivalent of the screw tape letters. Totally. And, and uh, I, I gl I'm glad that we could take it to such a literary place in discussing this film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course, so let's get Saul Rubinek is at the heart of it all. The uh, Woody Allen figure named and Alan he's good. Martin. And he does a good job. He he does. He's a, always good. Yeah, yeah he he's really is. Good. Yeah, he sells. He sells everything. You know, he's one of the great that guy actors of uh, you know the past thirty years or more. Um, probably most familiar to our listeners as the movie producer that Bronson Pinchot sets up in True Romance. Uh, most recently, stood out in my my favorite segment of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the last one in the. Stagecoach. He was the Frenchman, um, and he, he's really good. As, and Vincent Canby's weirdly positive, with mm -hmm. reservations uh, review said, you know, he may one day be Canada's answer to Dudley Moore. Didn't he kind of was the Canby review the one I read where he kind of lectured Jonathan Coffer, the director, and said like, "Be more yes. disciplined next time, and you will have a good movie." Like, yes, and yeah. he said. Uh, and he wasn't Rubinek. wrong, by the way. It wasn't right. He's talking to a kid in his 20s. Like, yeah, yeah. it was not wrong. And he also said Rubinek is funny, but he often is as annoying as everyone on screen tells him he is. Yes. <laughs> and Rubinek is also a good actor. So there's, a, there's also the problem of this whole movie has this weird combination of its wacky sketch shtick that opens with like, uh, a rock and roll high school style lab rats in little disco suits gag well, I, being let's tested. Get to so no, it opens with a parody of educational films. Yes. Which kids still know, we've discussed this, 
kids will do the voice of the narrator saying like these fish like to eat other fish or something like that right and i was like how do kids not you said it's from the simpsons i was like oh of course that makes sense right so the whole thing is like you know us we conducted a study on singles life in new york city and the rats were you know so they have these rats and says were you know given no contact with the opposite sex fed a diet of pure saccharin forced to listen to disco music and dressed in polyester polyester leisure suits so the rats in leisure suits was the signature joke of fernwood tonight yeah that's true yeah that was how they initially sold the show there was a doctor saying that leisure suits cured cancer and he brought out a rat in a leisure suit right right yeah so i mean you know that was only a couple of years earlier you know but 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 like yeah but there's this so the movie's very wacky obviously and very yeah. like sketch comedy but then yeah. will go for melancholy and it has yes. a very melancholy soundtrack and these scenes are it's often Rubinette kind of walking down the street alone with it and and like I said like the fact that he's a good actor and sells that too is almost unfortunate like it just adds to the yeah. schizophrenia of the the movie yeah so. Rubinak, he works for an underground cable TV channel that is literally underground beneath a slaughterhouse in Chinatown. Yeah. The channel is uh, clearly Videodrome. It's clearly yeah. just, just <laughs> they they are not calling it that, but we get it. It's Videodrome. It's called WPCP. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I see. I see what they're doing. A drug that addicts you. Okay. Yeah. It's Videodrome. Let's be Blows honest. Blows your mind. Yeah. Videodrome, uh, which was a real channel back then, by the way. So <laughs> so when you ask how could it be when the movie uh, hadn't come out yet, it's because it was real and this movie was exposing it. All my, all my buddies uh, whose bodies split open something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Totally. They real. got busted. That's how you That's how you get busted. You know. Yeah. Oh. oh, yeah. Just a movie. Okay, kid. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, and also, you know, hailing back to the video freaks of the late 60s. Uh, Garrett Graham is the underground reporter on the channel, and it opens. So he's also uh, getting married, Saul Rubinek. It's like his wedding day, and some there are so many flashbacks within flashbacks that the structure is oh, so cocaine, crippled yeah. here. Right, and, and and attempting to do the like I said that side of Annie Hall, the the right. other side, the yeah, cutaways. Right. Yeah. Yes. Right. Um. So, so Rubinek is telling his story on what we think is his shrink's couch about how he got there. There's a montage of singles bars, dates. Um, yeah. You know, right away, the girl with the Bo Derek braids. Right. All to uh, show you how dumb and annoying women are. <laughs> like, <laughs> over and over the message, it's like, oh, God, can you believe we have to deal with women? They're so dumb. They, they won't stop <laughs> talking. They're annoying. That was and the all thing. of us, Every we're just woman... poor Schlemiel's who have to put up with it. And, yeah, over and over. <laughs> Every woman in the movie will is not a monster. shut up. They're monsters. Yeah. It's just, yeah, you know, with him going like, oh, I have to put up with this. Can you believe it? <laughs> but like, this is, okay, so as, as a... A guy who couldn't get laid till he was 20 years old. I would always be mad about all these movies with like these men complaining about women, how they were so lonely. 
And yet they'd be fucking women through the whole movie. And this yes. is a great example. And even that, and we can talk about this scene in more specific, but even that is Andrea Martin, who's criticizing him and talking through the whole thing, which is hilarious. And she's absolutely hilarious yeah. at it. But it's like, yeah, it is the funny thing where when she showed up on the screen, I was like, oh, my God, she was so cute then and just so yeah. adorable. And the idea that it's like, oh, God, you got to have sex with Andrea Martin. Like, like again, the... <laughs> Like, what is wrong with you? What What is wrong with you? Why Why can't you enjoy this? But, uh, well, she has the key line in the movie. when she, So she's just babbling. Uh, they're at the Concord Hotel in, in the Catskills at a singles weekend. And she's just running her mouth. And she says, when I first saw you, you looked like somebody really nice. You looked like somebody I could really talk at. Yes, That's which was game. a funny yeah. line. That was a funny yeah. line. Yeah. Yes, and she's right. so. F- and I mean, we yeah. talked she's about this with Gilda. Yeah. We talked about this yeah. with Gilda Radner and First Family. These actresses back then who would be handed this just drivel or just a super sex role, <laughs> and just sell the hell out of it. Like, like I was really thinking the one guy who didn't do that for the most part to actresses was Mel Brooks, who would give Cloris yeah. Leachman or Madeline Kahn these incredible, incredible roles. roles. Or, yeah. you know, and, and no, you can't claim Terry Garr and Young Frankenstein is like a feminist icon, but would give them just genuinely funny but things to do. it's a smart role with quotes yes, around the, genuinely the funny stuff to do. It's that she's right. in on the joke and laughing with Never, us. yes, but no yeah. one else could do that back then. It's so wild. No, they were young guys. They hated women. They were trying <laughs> yes. to get laid. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Totally. Drunk and, and coked out of their minds. Um, it, it, so one of the, like the first sex scene is really weird. And I could I didn't know where it happened or, or if it was. I was like, is this a R- really strange? And and he there's. Has, yeah. Really he has strange. sex. In, they cut from the bar to a, a circular bed surrounded by a bamboo curtain. And there's all these like neon lights that they obviously just borrowed or rented from a neon lights that's like a gumball machine and stuff like that uh, and uh it comes out of nowhere and it's you know awkward and unfunny but and there's uh, and the nudity in it was weird like that's another yeah. thing in this movie like a little too much nudity and of course there's yeah. a we- really weird scene where he goes and garrett graham has a woman tied up <laughs> who's just a prop in the background with with who's new like oh man it's, yeah this movie was really a, a trip through the comedy writer the male comedy writer <laughs> id that's for sure so and and baranski who's just you know you hate to say it as you said but just gorgeous just like this you know this glammy knockout the whole gag is that they're talking and she doesn't exist but she's participating in the conversation like yeah. they completely ignore her, and then she goes home with Garrett Graham to have sex with him. Um, yeah, and and part of the uh, you know the man baby stuff that goes on here uh, is that Rubinek is doing all this because he's looking for his dream girl, and right. like they didn't come up with like any other spin on that term, dream girl. And uh, there's one girl, the one woman he's in bed with, and he gets a nosebleed, and he just tells her, uh, "You're not my dream girl." 
<laughs> oh, fuck you. Right. And but and and it does have the funny, I thought funny bit and clever idea for a romantic comedy where he goes he makes up a story and goes to the police department to describe right. her so that they will do a police sketch that, that he was, carries around. That was around a really good idea. That yeah. was a very clever, very funny yeah, yeah idea. Yeah. yeah. And had the funny line where he's like, uh, her eyes are and it, the, he's like, What about the nose? What about her nose? And he's like, uh, that doesn't matter. But right. yeah, that was a funny that was a funny bit. Another funny bit was, oh, just quickly, another funny bit was the kosher luau with an entire cow. Hilarious. On the, uh, yeah, that was a good visual gag, Really good, yeah. I mean, I I had some laughs during this, for sure, yeah. The kosher luau was really funny. Um, So, yeah, so he's walking around with this police sketch of his dream girl, and it looks exactly like Marsha Strassman. Right. And clearly he had uh, not watched Welcome Back Cotter. Or the movie would have <laughs> right. ended right. Oh. Who at this point oh, yeah, is very familiar from Welcome Back Cotter. Yes. Where she was Mrs. Cotter. And uh I read an interesting story. Did you see this about Gabe Kaplan and so she initially this is a, it, a little Marsha Strassman aside and, and it plays into what we were talking about. Um she said in, a, in an interview, like, the show was a huge hit. It's going well. And the she couldn't help but say to the reporter, I'm miserable working on it. So Kaplan reached out to her and said, what's the problem? And she explained that uh, James Comack said that Kaplan hates – and said, listen, Gabe hates you. He hates the way you play the scenes. We're going to uh, eliminate much of the home stuff. And then Kaplan said, he told me you hate me and you don't want to be on the show. And, you know, so uh-huh. we're going to not do the home stuff because Kaplan just wanted to focus. Uh, uh, sure. Kaplan. I'm sorry. James Comack. Comack. Right. James Comack was the creator, the runner, the showrunner. So yeah. he had lied. He had the sweat hogs. He had John show. Travolta. He had the biggest star in the country. He didn't want to focus on the home stuff. Yes. Right. That's that's too bad. But the home stuff is like so good. Yeah. Uh, yes. And, and right. the solution then came. By having the sweat hogs just show up at the house all the time, crawl up, which was hilarious. They crawl uh, through the window. Such yeah, uh, sitcom and, sitcom world is fun. But Kaplan, Gabe Kaplan, hosted the Tonight Show at the time. Had Strassman on and let her tell that story. Oh and wow! And said, "I talked to the writers. We're gonna have we're gonna balance the home and the classroom stuff." Yeah right. So uh, there's a mensch, not a stench. Yeah, no kidding. In that story, Comac is the stench. Kaplan is the mensch. Yes. Yep. Um, so, and this I thought was the really good gag in the movie was the John Travolta bit. This was like airplane worthy almost. Uh, so for the disco night at this Jewish singles weekend in the Catskills, um, Rubinick gets all dolled up in the white disco suit with the hair and the chains from Saturday Night Fever. And he's waiting, he goes to get on the elevator, and then, like, a little nebbishy guy in the same costume shows up, uh, then a big fat guy. Yeah. And then he walks down into the disco where all the men are dressed like John Travolta and doing a Travolta imitation. The suit and owned by Gene Siskel. That's right. As, as we keep talking about It was about his favorite yeah. movie. Not the best movie, but the one he loved the most. Yeah. Um, I think I saw and- him in that scene. I think he was one of the guys. <laughs> I think I caught a little glimpse. <laughs> he asked. Yeah. And then that was the suit that they actually sold him uh, at the auction. <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was it actually was Saul Rubinick's yeah. suit. It was not John Travolta. <laughs> they didn't tell him. Yeah. So uh, Rubinick in the Travolta guys, 
meets uh, Strassman is just checking out of the hotel, I think, as uh, and is going back to New York City. And he realizes, oh, this is the dream girl that I have in my police sketch. And then begins this stalking campaign that is completely charmless, yeah. distressing, uncomfortable. <laughs> really, really did end up being Woody Allen's legacy in mainstream comedy was the like, I was thinking about that list. Was the like this the victimized man who was really the victimizer? You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I, you know, I always remember, like you know, I used to do stand up comedy, and and I was like in the same kind of stand up world as as Louis C.K. And I always remember when his show came out, like like my impression of Louis C.K. in the stand up world was not like, oh, here's this nebbishy guy in the corner wringing his hands. But, but I always remember when I saw the Louis show for the first time on FX, it was just episode after episode about him with a woman walking down the street like, I'm, I'm so uncomfortable and tortured. You know, it's like, yeah, and I was like, I was I remember go, back then being very conscious, like, why do why do comedy guys always have to depict themselves that way when they're not that like. I never see this guy at a show with that energy. That is right. not the energy he's putting off. But if you're, but you, but you, and it's Woody's fault. It's, it's Woody's fault. Like he, like, no, yeah. you've got to be the, like, oh, I'm so uncomfortable around you. And I'm so, t you know, and uh, <laughs> that's his, that's his great legacy. Thank you, Woody. Thanks, Woody. So <laughs> uh, this campaign, you know, uh, it just reminded me of the behavior that made me physically sick and, and horrified recently when I saw looking for Mr. Goodbar for the first time. <laughs> right. Because I recognize it in myself. Not obviously not the, you know, the killer. But <laughs> right. um but the but the diaper the nice changing guy. of the baby you just met. Yeah. But the yeah. guy in looking for Mr. Goodbar who just parks his car outside her apartment. Like what yes. an act of terrorism that is. And ownership <laughs> and presumptuousness and Yeah. And that's what soup for one is all about. How that <laughs> and works. Soup for one is a steaming dish of that. <laughs> I, I just, the title just keeps making me want to go into movie critic talk into Gene Shalit, you know. <laughs> a steaming bowl of toxic masculinity with a side of Saul Rubinick. <laughs> and, you know, so, and it works because they got to get married and then. Yeah, uh, it works. Yeah. He, uh, you know, he calls off the wedding at the last minute uh, because he realizes. He's only getting married to please his parents, not himself. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's so stupid. And there was a flashback to when he was uh, a kid playing doctor and his father traumatized him by telling him, you know, if you're going to oh, play God, doctor, that you have to stuff. Be married. Jesus, man, going, yeah. <laughs> going deep, eternal sunshine <laughs> of the spotless mind, subconscious. Like, yeah, God, man. You know, a movie, a movie made, a mess of a movie made by a very talented guy, obviously, with lots of promise, you know, yeah. like Canby was right. This, this could have been a, this could have been a, a contender here. Jonathan Coffer, who, who acted, I saw, did you see acted in a, a Henry Jaglum film and in Into the Night with John Landis? Yeah. And I was like, God, like Jaglum and Landis. It makes to like hanging out with these guys. I can totally see it. Like those were his circles, monsters. you know, yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> complete monsters. <laughs> well, that was always, you know, Landis's shtick was to put directors in bit parts. Right. Yeah, right. Um, 
I remember Costa Gravis is in uh, Spies Like Us. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Like as a security guard. Um, so Colfer, yeah, started as a teenager on Holmes and Yo-Yo, uh, Quark, Mork and Mindy. Three important shows in our childhood. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Uh, director Howard Ziff hired him to do rewrites on the main event, the Barbara Streisand, Ryan O'Neill movie. And he also, from there, seems to have been like an uncredited script doctor and punch-up guy. It led to him getting a development deal at Warner Brothers. And yeah, they claimed, IMDB or wherever it was, claims it was the youngest director hired by a major studio. Um, But here's where things get interesting. (laughs) Oh, in 1985, so not too long after Soup for One, Coffer was dating a model named Myra Jean Hall. He suspected she was cheating on him, so he burst into her apartment in a jealous rage and choked her with a, oh. quote, leather rope, unquote. Oh, God. <laughs> so awful. Uh, she didn't die. Uh, she called the police. She managed to, get, managed to get free. He was arrested on suspicion of attempted murder, but he beat the rap. Man. So uh, then, uh, you know, again, it seems like maybe he was a punch up guy. He said he was writing scripts, but this every time he would get a studio to green light one, the studio would fold, uh, which is, you know, probably a lie. Uh, know, so, yeah, who knows? But then from uh, 95 to 2001, he was married to Pia Zadora. Yeah. A lady we have to pay tribute to on this show with a double yeah, feature. Yeah, the great Piazador. And uh, they have one son. And in 2010, he filed a defamation suit against Pia, um, alleging that uh, she said that he slammed her into a garage door and attacked oh, her on a ferry. Yeah, it's and just a list of horrible stuff, yeah. He claims in turn that no, Pia was actually drunk fell down hard on on the ferry, but then in the garage was attempting to remove their son from a moving vehicle when there was a brief physical encounter. This uh, is all on his Wikipedia page, right? Yeah, yeah. God, Wikipedia sucks. <laughs> I don't like <laughs> Wikipedia sucks. It's just terrible that you can just get access to <laughs> What a bummer. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, but let's uh, keep talking about this oh, God. <laughs> as it goes on. But then in his complaint, in the defamation suit filed by Colfer, uh, he said that Pia accused him of downloading child pornography and molesting their son. Oh, God. So three years later, he died in a car accident, ejected from his vehicle while driving, and this makes perfect sense, from Las Vegas to Los Angeles. Uh, Good night, funny man. Very sad. Really, yeah. yeah, you know, it always always a bummer. Like like I said, clearly talented young guy, <laughs> yeah, you know, and it, yeah, and it uh, it it takes a toll. Being uh, I would think being the teenage uh, network TV comedy writer in yeah. the in the late seventies in rooms full of cocaine and yeah, and uh, then at one point Robin awful. Williams cocaine in the late 70s. oh god, can you yes, oh man, yeah, oh boy, yeah, it's sad sad story. Yeah, but you know, uh, a, a sad stew was cooked up <laughs> in the life of director of Soup for One. I'm Aaron Lee. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So, uh, and that alphabet soup spelled out <laughs> fuck. <laughs> That's depressing. 
<laughs> well, uh, perk up because next week. <laughs> because next week, put on your bib and grab your spoon. <laughs> uh, we, we're supposed to have a guest next week for real. Yes, he's booked. And, so that uh, means it's got to happen. Yeah, I'm not going to announce it here, but uh, the movie we'll be discussing is Sex Tet. Um, should this happen? And then for Pride Month, the week after that, I want us to do Out of the Closet 82 with uh, Making Love and Partners. So Great. we'll lock into that uh, for those playing along. And, uh, uh, and Mike, I just want to say this was, uh, this was fun. Uh, thanks for the, the invitation to be here. For the and Woodless Allen say, episode. Um, you left your soup on the counter. Uh, oh. I'd have some, but it looks like it was it's only uh, for one. It's a bit hot. Uh, I'm going to be <laughs> careful here uh, moving the soup. It's <laughs> 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 <Achoo>. you. <laughs> All right. Well, this can go on for hours, and we're going to yes. shut the microphones, microphones off, and it will go on for hours now. <laughs> so. I wish you could see us. Remember like on the old talk shows where they would just continue talking? Sure, like fade out, chair, yeah. Like on like yeah. the PBS talk shows. Like, oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Let's do that. Let's. So yeah. so until next week, so so uh, Ben, when you do the audio, if you can have the music, we'll keep talking and you can fade us out. <laughs> so until next week, crack or get off the pot. So anyways, Mike, I really feel very similar. Yeah, you know, like I said, yeah. Oh, yeah, good point. Right.